Welcome, everyone, to our Seed Seller Academy podcast, sponsored by our Seed Seller Blueprint Live program. It's absolutely the finest program that's ever been created in the seed industry or ag industry, period. No one does what we do. We'd help the farmer figure out how to raise more crops while making selling easier for you. So what we do is we take price out of the picture, programs out, performance out, all those things out, so selling becomes easier and the farmer can find a brand new way to raise a crop. We know that as fast as things move today that farmers can't keep up. It's not because they're not smart, because things are moving so fast, it's very difficult for farmers to keep up with all the changes. So we teach our seed sellers and our egg sellers to teach him and to take him where he doesn't know he needs to go. And that's the fun part about working with growers today. They're open-minded, but they're looking for new solutions all the time. Today, my guest uh, on our podcast is Matt Long. Welcome to the podcast, Matt. Yeah, thanks, Rod. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for coming up. We appreciate it very much. Matt is a farmer from the old Kansas. Uh, he's not a typical farmer, you'll find out. Um, but he also has a uh, seed business with his wife, Jenny. And uh, they're not the typical farm couple, nor they are the does he run a typical seed business. Matt is the, uh, has a seed business and happens to have a farm also. And there's a big difference that we'll talk about. So not the typical farmer type of seed seller you'd come across uh, most of the time in the United States. So, Matt, it's so good to have you uh, here. We appreciate you taking time to come up and visit with us uh, on our podcast today. I'd like to start out from the very beginning. Uh, tell us about where you were born and, and raised, Matt. Well, I was born and raised in Leota, uh, a little town out in west central Kansas. And, um, yeah, just not much out there, but uh, about 1,500 people. Uh, and most of my family uh was born and raised there, and a lot of them still live there. Were you, uh, what kind of child were you? Were you an energetic child? Were you a troublemaker? Were you always looking for new things? What, what kind of child were you? I think uh, probably back then I didn't, didn't know very many strangers uh-huh. and uh, was pretty energetic. I remember uh, rolling down the hill, you know, um, out in the playground one day. You know, you just lay on your side, roll all the way down, you know, <laughs> run back up, do it again, yep. you know, and uh, – so pretty energetic, didn't, didn't know many strangers, and uh, still don't know very many yeah. either. Did you go to high school there, Leona? Yeah, yeah. Uh, what, what did you do in high school? Did you have sports or anything? Yeah, so played football and golf, um, Scholars Bowl, Science Olympiad, and uh, Student Council, all, all of the above. Nice. Kinda. Where'd you go to college? Uh, went to Kansas State University, okay. so got my degree in uh, agriculture, um, majored in horticulture, Landscape design. Oh, excellent. So, what, what, what attracts you about farming, first of all? What's the, what's the attraction in farming? Just something uh, that everybody does, uh-huh. you know, and uh, a lot of family history. Um, so, my great great grandparents moved to Marienthal, a small town about eight miles from Leota, um, you know, hundred, little over a hundred years ago. And uh, they kind of helped settle that, that town in that area. And everybody I know farms, uh-huh. you know, and so always was attracted to that. Um, in high school, a uh, local farmer gave me the opportunity to work for him. Um, you know, I was driving tractor, blading summer follow, you know, uh, most days of the week. Mm-hmm. And uh, that kind of got my itch going. Um, then in uh, around 2006 or seven, had the opportunity to, uh, to buy a piece of ground that my grandpa had farmed for a while. Um, that my aunt owned at the time. And so uh, took that over, and that's kind of when I decided um, that I want to move back to Leota and, and be a farmer. Nice. So during that farming time, uh, what, what attracted you to the seed business? Why, did, why would you want to get in the seed business? That's always a good question. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, so uh, when I first came back, we just had 220 acres to farm, which you can't live off of out there. You know, it's the desert. And uh, so um, had the opportunity to work for a, a local retailer and just kind of the thing that somebody uh, within that company trained me on was seed. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of took mm-hmm. a hold of that. That was the thing I knew was seed more than chemical um, or fertilizer. And so just kind of kept working on that after I left the retailer. Then uh, Garst at the time gave me the opportunity to uh, – 
have my own dealership and so just kind of got started that way and currently you're with syngenta golden harvest yes yep and do a nice really nice business down there uh, in the Ilda area uh and growing that business very rapidly i must say so aside from the extra income and things that come with those kinds of things uh with that kind of business what is the main attraction I mean, you deal with a lot of people. You have you, it's not the easiest area to grow a crop in, obviously, because you guys are dry a lot. Um, so there's a lot of challenges that go along with a seed business, typical seed business that maybe in other areas of the country have more rainfall that they can depend on. What is the attraction to you? Why do you stay in it? I think the uh, you know the typical farmer in our area, um, you ask him what, what the obstacle is. Oh, it's it's the weather. It's the market. It's you know the seed sometimes. Mm-hmm or you know that spray job we had didn't work and i think by being in the industry um you know traveling to different meetings and and just meeting a lot of different people and taking in a lot of a lot of different information i've got a totally different view of it than most other farmers in the area you know um you can't really manage the weather so forget about it (laughs) you know Uh, you can manage the market to some extent, but, uh, you know, my plan is put a plan together and, and call my broker and these are the sales targets and it's over, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so then it just all comes down to like, how good can I do the things that I can control? Such as? You know, uh, how good can we get the, the seed spacing? How good can we get our depth? How um, perfect can we get our fertilizer mix based on our soil tests? You know, just how... Uh, how exactly can we take care of this plant so that it produces uh, the maximum potential it has that year? You know, every year the maximum potential of a plant is going to differ um, in our country greatly. You know, some years maximum potential is zero. Mm-hmm. And, and some years maximum potential uh, can be well over 200 bushel mm-hmm. on, on that dry land. And so it just, uh, you know, how, how well can I manage the things that, um, are variables that are controllable uh, to give that plant the chance. It's interesting that you mentioned those variables. You haven't mentioned variety yet or product at all. Well, why is that? I mean, is that a part of it? Well, I mean, yeah, sure. <laughs> the, the, the seed guy will tell you that, man, you know, you got to have golden harvest over here. Um, or, and you talk to the pioneer guy and, and you got to have pioneer. And I just think uh, it's kind of baloney because, uh, I mean, these companies are spending – say a hundred million dollars producing um a a new hybrid line of of seed corn and if it's in the bag and it's on your farm it's got the potential Mm -hmm. you know and so then it's just how do you extract it how do you protect that potential yeah yeah interesting that's quite a different uh view than most people have in this business today isn't it uh most people are looking for a product performance or focusing on varieties farmers trying to choose varieties so in your case, uh, how, how, do, how do you make decisions? Or how, do the farmers actually choose the varieties for the farms from you, or do you make those decisions? It, it kind of depends. Um, you know, some guys are going to do what they want uh-huh. no matter what. Uh-huh. Um, and so you kind of figure that out and let those guys do what they want, and then you go work with the guys that are willing to kind of come along with your program mm-hmm. uh, on a different level. And so those guys that come along, you know, I might be on their farm, um, for a half a day every uh, month or maybe twice a, twice a month. And, um, you know, it's all just about learning about what the, what the obstacle is in each one of their fields or what the obstacle is um, on their farm that, I, that we can control. And then, you know, placing um, different hybrids throughout their farm, uh, kind of portfolio, I guess, uh, three or four, maybe five, depending on, the number of acres, uh, products that, you know, have the potential to give us some diversity. I think diversity is really important. It's something I preach to my customers all the time that, you know, somebody will come in and they want, they want to plant the whole farm to one hybrid, man, that thing, that's a rock star. We're going to plant the whole farm. And, uh, it, it really hurts me if I can't get them to plant more than one. And it hurts them too, I would assume. Yeah. So how do they measure that? Performance? Do they actually look at portfolio performance, or do they, are they still measuring individual varieties? Oh, I mean that that varies too. What what drives me nuts is um, a producer that will uh, talk about everything on the average, and then nitpick everything <laughs> on a on a field level or on a hybrid level. You know, they get to looking at the 
you know, the bill when they get it and go, oh my God, this one costs so much. Mm -hmm. But then when you talk, talk to them about their cash flow, it's all what the average price of the seed was, Mm -hmm. you know, and, oh, this one really, it didn't perform as well as it should have. But then when they get to talking about it, they talk about their average farm yield, Mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, we're always trying to move those guys in, in the direction of, uh, what the portfolio performs like, you know? Um, but it's not always the easiest thing to do. Yeah. So when you look at these growers today, there's a lot of movement toward those guys trying to take more control of their businesses. You've got FBN out there. You've got people trying to, you know, use all the monitors to choose varieties, all this data to back it up. Um, how much assistance do you think farmers need uh, in terms of deciding where they need to go? Do they know where they're going? Is this whole concept about them having more control or wanting more control viable concept? Is it a viable concept? That's a good question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I think this is the thing that the farmer thinks. They think, oh, my God, if corn was just $5, everything would be okay. Mm-hmm. Or if I could just buy my nitrogen for $0.25 cents a pound instead of $0.35 cents a pound, everything would be better. And it's like you can't control either one of those two, uh, so quit worrying about it. Mm-hmm. It's like the weather. Forget it. You know, you're going to need so many pounds of N. Put it on, whatever the cost is. Mm-hmm. You know, and so FBN – um, and those guys trying to take control of their of their operating cost or whatever you want to um, say they're trying to take control of it's kind of a crock because uh, they'll never control it mm-hmm. you know yeah they're not the Koch brothers yeah <laughs> and theoretically you really can't get low enough to stay in business anyway can you I mean you have to have production right that's right yeah yeah, yeah. I mean production trumps everything um, if it costs you three dollars a bushel to, to produce a hundred bushels of corn like on dry land in our area but you produced 120 all of a sudden you did it for two dollars and forty cents a bushel mm-hmm. you know and so it's like um just do the best at growing the corn and uh kind of forget about the cost yeah absolutely yeah it totally makes sense it makes sense to me um so there's a lot of people out there in this business uh who are selling today selling to farmers calling on farmers he's called on uh i think purdue did a uh a, a, research, uh, a survey a few years ago that said farmers are called on an average of 220 times a year uh, by someone to sell them something so he's he's pretty used to people calling on him all the time as what do you think some of the biggest uh failings are of those people calling on these guys what what, what are these salespeople not bringing to the table <clears throat> their brain <laughs> good one <laughs> i mean they all come to the table and it's uh you know okay here i got this uh what do you want to call it foo-foo juice mm-hmm. or uh fairy dust whatever you know some magical potion that's going to make 10 percent more yield on your corn you know well let's just think about that a minute um if there was something out there that every time i used it on my corn I could grow 10% more corn. Why wouldn't I just use it 10 times? Right, yeah. <laughs> you know, and double my production overnight yeah. right there. No, it, it doesn't happen that way. And so bring your brain to the table um, when you go talk to a producer and just, um, you know, do do what you think or help them do the things that you think are going to really uh, limit the impact of the uncontrollable factors. So let's talk about some of those specifics. What, what specifically uh, do you bring to a grower um, in your business? How you do business? How do you do your business um, that he doesn't do himself? Get it? Get you know? Supply himself or you know for, for whatever reason? Uh, what is it you bring? And these guys aren't bringing, for example. It just comes down to. I mean, some of it is because I am farming. Mm-hmm. And I do it differently on my own farm than, than most of these guys. So it's just a lot of information, you know, um, go to this meeting, learn about, you know, uh, holistic farming or something, and then talk to these guys about how, you know, we can't apply a hundred percent of this. Uh, I, I don't think some of these new approaches, um, if you applied them a hundred percent tomorrow, you might just go under, mm-hmm. you know, but how can you, can you look at that and say, okay, how much, how much fertilizer do I really need? Mm-hmm. You know, um, so many guys in our area have uh, historically not soil tested or soil tested very little, or they get soil test results and they don't use them mm-hmm. to uh, to make their recommendations on fertility. 
And it's like, why wouldn't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, why wouldn't you soil test and use that? Why wouldn't you, uh, you know, there's all this um, aerial imagery available. Why wouldn't you use that? Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I had one guy, yeah, oh man, this, this field was just completely disappointing uh, this year was, was his uh, comment. And I went back and, and I mapped that field in one of my aerial imagery softwares and looked at it. And, you know, I'd been in that field four or five times this year and never saw anything that was completely disappointing. Um, but I was not in the right spot. Mm-hmm. I mean, there was a signature pattern in that field from almost day one, the first image that was taken. If I'd have had that image with me when I went to the field, we could have maybe made an adjustment right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's like, you got all this stuff available to you. Why aren't you using Interesting. it? Interesting. Yeah. And that's what I, that's what I pressure, um, the producers on all the time is especially, so much of this stuff is free. Mm-hmm. You know, you buy seed from Golden Harvest, you get this. Mm-hmm. You buy seed from someone else, you get this. You buy fertilizer from someone, you get this. Mm-hmm. You know, using all of it can be overwhelming, but figure out where the value is. Mm-hmm. I mean, and sometimes people think just because it's free, there's no value. Yeah. You know, but I I think there's a lot of value in some of these products that um, you you literally just have free access mm-hmm. to. Yeah, I would totally agree. There's so many tools out there today that can help help a farmer make it easier to raise a crop or more convenient or whatever they're designed to do. We know that, at least in my opinion, not a lot of those um, actually raise the yield because that's what the plant does. They protect yield. And uh, But it sounds like you're bringing a lot of those services to, to the grower. How many growers ask you for those before you bring them out? In other words, in this business today, it looks to me, and I found that, the people who are really succeeding are people who are leading. They're leading the grower where he doesn't know he needs to go. And because he can't keep up with everything, he might get information on the internet or go to a meeting or whatever. But it's the people out there who are already executing and thinking ahead, reading the handwriting on the wall to look what needs to be done with the grower. So what percent of your growers would actually ask you for a service or something you're not providing versus you bringing something new to them all the time because you, you're in that leadership mentality? Yeah, it's a pretty low percentage of people who are like just calling me up, hey Matt, you know, are you gonna you gonna start providing water probes? Mm-hmm. No. Nobody mm-hmm. called me and asked that. Okay. You know, I had I had a Which you do, right? Yeah. 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 So I had a probe in my field, um, you know, for a year. I'm kind of the try it before you sell it mm-hmm. type of seller. And so I had a probe for a year in my field and man, this thing really works. Mm-hmm. We we used a lot less water um through our irrigation system. And so then you know, start talking to other guys about it. You know, we're trying to conserve water. We got the Ogallala Aquifer going dry out there. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, so start talking to other guys about it. And you find out, you know, oh, other guys think that maybe they're using too much water too, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, there's not a lot of guys just calling me up saying, hey, when are you gonna start talking to us about this? Mm-hmm. You know, um, I kinda, I go to enough meetings, I travel enough, I'm uh, reading enough, articles online and and in in magazines and stuff that you know kind of stay out in front of of it and kind of always i mean my brain's always spinning Mm -hmm. what's the next thing that we need to add to uh keep these guys you know at the top of the game well every farmer knows he needs water most farmers are well aware of that especially if you're out west where you are or in colorado or, or farther out where water is a huge issue in farming right they all need it. All know, know what the parameters of it are. Um, so someone like you bringing this technology to them is, is something like, in my opinion, well, I know I needed that. I just never thought about asking for it or know where to get it possibly. Um, so it surprises me a little bit that more people aren't doing that. Maybe they are. I don't know. Are there other, are there other seed sellers out there offering probes? I think there probably are. Um, not right in my area, but, you know, some of the – some of the equipment dealers, uh, the Valley sprinkler guys, you mm-hmm. know, and stuff like that are, are selling, um, soil moisture probes too. Um, the thing about farmers knowing they need water is they think they just need it all the time, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and, uh, it, it's crazy. It's like plant and irrigate. Mm-hmm. The, those are the two steps to, to growing corn in mm-hmm. our area. I even had a guy tell me, uh, and this, he's, he's an old man, but he told me, 
the way to grow irrigated corn is to put a fish in the furrow. The Indians <laughs> had it wrong. You didn't put it in the soil. You put it in the furrow, and then you kept it alive. <laughs> That's and great. The one. only way you keep alive have furrow full of water all the sure. time. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think maybe at one point that was our understanding of irrigation. But if you look at water use in in a corn plant, it's like extremely low for weeks mm -hmm. after it comes up. Mm -hmm. You know, and so. Do you need a lot of water then? No. Um, now, we have really good uh, profile, so we can hold a lot of water. And if you have a small capacity well, maybe you need to make sure your profile is pretty well still full so that when you hit that high water use, you don't get behind. But uh, I think a lot of it is just we need to irrigate more to the, the need of the plant and less to um, the need of our ego mm -hmm. i guess mm -hmm. you know some people irrigating man it's a way of life yeah. for some people sure or wishing for a big rain yeah know. yeah so i find it interesting though that and you know someone in the irrigation business or equipment business it seems logical that they would probably offer a probe concept to a grower but isn't water one of the biggest variables that affects performance of what you sell yeah i mean it's uh <clears throat> too much or too little yeah. all the time so why wouldn't everyone in the seed business be offering probe strategies or that kind of thing. Why do they leave it up to the irrigation guy? doesn't mean that irrigation people don't have the knowledge to do that. I get that. Or that kind of thing. So you you stepped way out of the um, so-called uh, knowledge side of selling seed technically into an area that, you know, hey, I need to help farmers control this biggest variable they have, which is water, which affects usage of fertilizer and everything else they apply to that crop uh, at all stages of the crop. So it looks to me like you've helped control one of the biggest variables in your performance of your products. Yeah, I mean, and, and it's interesting, um, you know, how much uh, difference a little irrigation practice can have. You know, so one, one guy on one side of the road, another guy on the other side of the road, and just uh, does something slightly different. Mm -hmm. You know, so the agronomist is telling uh, farmer A that, you know, he needs to, he needs to apply 7,500s um to incorporate his chemical or, mm -hmm. or activate his chemical well that that is important we got to have the chemical working out there to keep the weeds down but what did we do to root development mm -hmm. on that corn by sprinkling this light amount of irrigation over we create a lot of root development in the top part of the profile we don't send those roots deep for mm -hmm. uh later in the season when we really need it and what effect does that have on september 10th when we shut the pivot off yeah you know and so um i see this all the time these little slight things that people do in management of of water of herbicide of fertilizer um that are creating huge differences in yield i mean 60 80 bushel differences mm -hmm. in yield and you have growers asking you, you know, why is this product not performing mm -hmm. Well, why didn't you perform? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, right. And that's the hardest part. You're selling a living organism, which is seed. Hardest thing in the world to control is performance of a living organism, unless you control its performance in some way, which you're doing by managing those kinds of things. You're managing part of the thousand variables that we talk about uh, that affect the performance of every product every year, combination of management and environment. So uh, you've, you're uh, doing an amazing job of that. So if everybody in the seed business uh, sold probes where, they, where you have irrigation, for example, where you have to control the water usage and water application, uh, it seems to me, uh, and you may have an opinion on this, that that would help everybody who sells seed because the farmer would already have a, a mindset of how to protect the crop. Uh, because one of the things we talk a lot about, as you know, you're in the academy and you're in a lot of things we do, is the farmer has one job, and that's to protect the crop at all costs. Product performance at all costs, just protect the crop. And you're doing one of those. So would it make sense to you if everybody sold probes or, or had the farmer in the probe mentality, that that would help you or not help you? Yeah, I mean, if <clears throat> you wouldn't even have to sell them. You just got to get the guys in the mentality of managing the variable. <laughs> you know, And so that variable is water with a water probe or a moisture probe and um, get them in the mentality of managing that variable. Maybe mm -hmm. you're selling soil sampling services. Get them in the mentality of managing 
fertility. Mm -hmm. That's the variable Mm -hmm. that you're working with there. So, um, I think, I think it would be, um, beneficial to, to more of these seed dealers in, in our area with soil moisture probes, but you know, so many of them are out there just selling a bag of seed. Yeah. They don't really realize, uh, what they're selling the farmer, which is his livelihood, yeah. you know, and, and they don't really think about, um, you know, when to, to some of these guys, when, you know, product a doesn't work, they just drop the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's bad product. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, there's not really any bad products. We already <laughs> went over that one. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So um, when you look at opportunity uh, in the seed business or opportunity with farmers, working with farmers, you know, farmers today, uh, I'm, I'm tell- we all know, are some of the finest guys ever tilled the land. They're still farming. They've gone through some tough times. Uh, really, really good operators. We know this. We have a lot of them out there. But when you look at what they're actually applying or, or doing, how much opportunity is there for people who deal with him on the seed level? We've always talked about the seed is the foundation for everything he does. He doesn't need anything else he buys unless he plants the seed first. So the seed is the most important part to put on the field first. We've talked about that a lot over the years. Um, since he does that, uh, plants the seed, what opportunities are there for people who are selling, calling on him today to sell him ag products to educate him on things he's not doing? I mean. These guys aren't aren't stupid, but if they're not applying or utilizing things that are out there, how much help does he need? So if you, if you're looking at someone who's going to start in the seed business today, would that person would you see that person as having opportunity, or as a farmer way ahead of this game all, already and, and he wouldn't have a chance? I think there's some opportunity out there, but you got to be um, pretty, I guess, uh, quick to um, you know get your knowledge base put together and get out there and make sure the the growers that you're calling on understand that you have a value to them on their operation you know if you're just uh walking in and hey you know how's it going john i got got your seed catalog here and yeah that that hybrid's uh 250 bucks and you know if you pay by so such and such date you get a 10 percent discount on that you know there's not very much opportunity for that guy Mm -hmm. um now there's a there's a huge crunch on the market uh i mean farmers are are beating us up all the time on our price is too high our price is too high our price is too high um and then i and then i got a couple guys that tell me oh yeah i got a quote from uh from one of your competitors and you're way cheaper than them and i'm like you know uh okay so beat me up i don't believe the bullshit (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) exactly so what are you uh what value are you bringing? I've talked, asked you this a little bit before, but when you look at this, things that farmers need, and you say, okay, here's the value I'm bringing. For example, I want you to compare these two things. Compare product knowledge you have, knowledge of the products you sell, versus the amount of social skills you have in dealing with growers. How would you rank those? Which one is most important in getting, having a growing successful business? Which one's the most important to getting a farmer to follow you, to have success with your products? Uh, because today in the business, we know there's you know a big emphasis on, on product performance, So which you have to have, obviously. How would you rank those one or two, and how far, far apart are they, are they in terms of importance? Well, I'd, I'd obviously rank the social skills the most important, um, and by a long ways, because, I mean, there's tools out there available to you that can help you put the portfolio together that you're going to use on this guy's farm, you know. But if you can't go in there and show him how working with you, making a plan, um, and uh, can, can help him reach his goal, I mean, because it really does, your goal is to sell the seed, um, you know, to make the X number of dollars a bag or whatever percentage commission off of it. But if you can't go in there and make a compelling argument to him as to why he should follow your plan, why you uh, know how to farm, essentially, um, even though you don't farm, um, if you can't make that compelling story for working with you is going to help him achieve his goal, whatever it is, more money, newer tractor, big shed, more land, retirement, whatever that goal is, um, you have to, you have to make a compelling story that you can get him there faster. Well said. 
So how many of these guys have a plan? How many of these farmers have a plan uh, that you can dovetail into? Uh, or is there a plan that you have to bring totally to these guys? Are they all planning ahead? No. For- their, their plan is to beat you up on price, <laughs> see how low they can get you to go, yeah. uh, and then tell you that you know this shit didn't work, and <laughs> I guess I shouldn't uh, beat you up on price so hard. <laughs> and that happens sometimes, you know? And I say, well, I had a plan, and you— you wanted a cheaper plan, mm-hmm. so we went with the cheaper plan. That's your decision. I mean, it's the grower's decision at the end of the day. But, um, you know, some of the guys that I, I have started working with more recently, um, after I started working with Rod, you know, it kind of changed my mentality on how I was going to work with new growers especially. We're trying to get some of our current, you know, long-term customers turned around onto this plan too, but that's more difficult than going into a new guy with a plan. Yeah. And so um, the new guys, we go out there, we've got the plan, we talk to them about how the plan works on their farm, and then we leave. Mm-hmm. And we schedule another appointment with them, and we go out there and we show them then, you know, we might go to their field and talk about their fields, and then we map some of their fields in our software, and then we show them how the software can um, manipulate the variables, the weather and the soil and, and the hybrids to come up with these portfolios, you know? So that's step two. And then we leave. <laughs> you know? That's a lot different than most people do it. <clears throat> and, uh, it, you know, third or fourth step, maybe fifth step, we finally uh, have a seed guide and we start talking specifically about which fields on their farm we're gonna have control of um and you know we want to get three hybrids out there we want uh, at least 100 bags uh, the first year if it's a sizable farm for sure you know and it just we control it um up front because we don't come in and say hey man this is this this hybrid here man it's mm-hmm. so great because they're all great if you manage them mm-hmm. right so but why doesn't he do that on the first call? Well, if you did it on the first call, why wouldn't he go for the plan? Well, they're going for the plan after the first call because the first call all they have <clears throat> is the plan. Right, but he, he hasn't ordered anything. No. You, you actually close it down after the fourth or fifth contact. Yeah. Why does it take that long, do you think, to get that size of order? Oh, I, you know, part of it is um, the value is is pretty high. So a brand-new grower – hundred bags of seed, we're talking twenty, thirty thousand dollars. And to them that's that's a big number, yep. you know, to some of them. And so especially something they've never seen before. Yep. Um, so you kinda gotta just build that. You gotta make sure uh, A that the two of you work together, B that they're willing to follow um, <clears throat> the direction you're going. Uh, you know, you just gotta you gotta develop that. Yeah. And one of the things that you're uh, you're a very humble guy. One of the things you're too humble to talk about is yourself because we know that uh, 100% of that uh, reason they buy is from you. And so you're, you're, you're getting them to like you, to trust you, and taking that extra time by pulling it away from them. You leave. And they can't probably believe in some cases you didn't ask for an order, right? Yeah. <clears throat> they, they're always looking for the seed guide, mm-hmm. the price, and the product. Yep. The minute you walk in the door, uh-huh. because that's what everybody else does, <laughs> you know, yeah. and they try to get you to go there right away. <clears throat> it's like, you know, so, so what do you think? I got these two fields. What do you think? What do you think? Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think anything. <laughs> right. You know, the, it's a whole new experience for them, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You know, and, and like, um, they just, they have a whole different outlook on what they're going to do when I show up at their place now, mm-hmm. you know, uh, generally, uh, if you weren't selling like this, you show up at a guy's place and he's going to take you to products, price, and programs. And these guys, uh, they walk in and it's, you know, I walk in their door after the after the first call. And so what do you want to do today? Yeah. And I said, hey, you know what? Why don't we just jump in the pickup and go drive around the farm? Nice. And we get to the field. You pull the soil probe out. You, you look at the texture of the soil. You look at the moisture that's there. You know, you talk to them about what the biggest obstacle to um, production in this field is, mm-hmm. uh, because until you can understand what they, what they believe the obstacle is on a field level, how can you really yeah. put a, put a price of product or a program in front of them? So what would you say to a farmer who's also selling seed who says, I don't have time for all that. 
I don't have time for all those calls. I don't have the time for all that. What would you say to him? Get up earlier. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, just uh, think about how you do it on your own farm. Do you do, do you do it that way on your own farm? Are you buying from yourself on the level of product price and program? Mm -hmm. Or are you buying from yourself um, because of your ability to manage a variable? Interesting. You know, if you're just buying from yourself because um, you get a commission off every bag you sell and so it's cheaper to buy from yourself than buy from the co-op, go Mm -hmm. buy from the Mm co-op, you know, or or go go find somebody else that's selling seed that's not doing it that Mm -hmm. way because there's a lot of value in, I, or I think, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm selling, selling it, but there's a lot of value in, uh, in having an advisor, um, a seed advisor versus a seed seller. Do you get paid for seed advising for an advi- on advisory mode? No. Okay. So you're not really selling that. You're selling, if he purchases your seed, he gets you with it and some advisory. Yeah. Right. Uh, not doesn't mean you're his crop scout necessarily, but you're you're supplying a certain number of obviously services with with that purchase. Yeah. And those purchases are outside the realm of what most people do who sell seed, including I'm finding out that people who sell full time that aren't farming. People who sell full time direct to farmers. <clears throat> people who sell full time direct to farmers, most aren't doing what you're doing. That's what I find. Yeah, I'd say that's true. And mm-hmm. that's why most of them are uh, stressed out and strung out. Exactly. You know, because yeah. the farmer's running around, making them run around in circles all the time. You know, you go visit with them and you think you got your products, your price, and your program right, and you leave, and then you call them back three days later or five days later to confirm that order before your early pay deadline. And they say, oh, well, you know, I went down to the and whatever you want to call it now, and, and you know, he was $3 a bag cheaper. <laughs> So now, oh my God, you know, let me run around in another circle and get $4 a bag cheaper than right. what I was last time. Yep. And then, and then he'll go right back down to the and do it again, <laughs> you know, working everybody back and forth. Yeah. And so, I mean, how can you go out and, and work with a new grower, um, or a new producer on their farm if you got to work with the same guy seven times? Yeah. Yeah. And to no good end for anybody. No. Yeah. So you're a busy guy. You've got a young family now, a little young son who's eight weeks old and two young girls, uh, a wife who's in the business with you. How do you manage all that? What, what's, what's some of the key management processes you use to get all this done and, and grow your business? Well, uh, Rod's taught me how to use a calendar, <laughs> and that's a really good thing because, uh, you know, I know now that um, every Tuesday is on my calendar. I go to Scott County. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've got some customers about 25 miles away, but I know that every Tuesday I go to Scott County, and I know that, you know, every Thursday I'm probably going to stay basically in my office and work on my business myself mm-hmm. um, on things that I need to get done. And then the other days of the week, you know, maybe uh, we got a doctor's appointment or we got to take the kids to get their immunizations or something. And, and we just, everything goes on that calendar. And uh, then when somebody says, hey, can you come do this? Well, let me check, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so that's been that's been pretty successful. Uh, I won't say that there's not a little bit of stress involved uh, because there's a lot of things on the calendar. And the more kids we have, the the harder, <laughs> the more the more there is on there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it takes Jenny. She does a lot of, a lot of stuff in our business, as you know, and, and it takes, um, her more time to, to wrangle all the kids around all the time. Yeah. And I'm gone a lot. I travel, you know, this month I've been on the road 15 days already, mm-hmm. you know? And so uh, I guess last month, today's mm-hmm. February, Yeah, yeah exactly. but, uh, um, you know, you just got to have, you got to have that stuff written down. You got to know where you're going to be, when you're going to be, and then you just got to follow follow your calendar. Yeah. Um, so you've done a great job of working on your calendar, putting that calendar together, following it, those kinds of things. How important is that to a farmer? How good are farmers at following a calendar? They're horrible. Yeah. You know, the farmer mentality is, I don't know what I'm doing tomorrow until tomorrow. Mm-hmm. You know, and so um, it's it's not been easy 
to to get guys to move in that direction. Um, it's easier to get the new guys because uh, you know once you start them down that road, that that's the way you work. That's mm-hmm. the way they work with you. Yeah. And so um, getting the old guys to the and when I say old guys, the customers that we've had for years to uh, move in that direction is not easy. But uh, we're working on it. Mm-hmm. So it seems to me, as I've looked at the business for all these years, is that if the seed guy doesn't have a calendar, or the egg supplier doesn't have a calendar, farmer doesn't have a calendar, then we're all running around, you know, wondering what tomorrow's going to bring us, right? Yeah, and you call them up in the afternoon and say, hey, can you get together tomorrow? And they say, no, I'm busy tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. Yeah. yeah. So you call me tomorrow, and no, you know, I can't meet with you on Friday. Call me on Monday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that deal, it's like, yeah. If I make two calls and, and those are the two answers I get, I don't call back. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, I've, I don't have time for it. Yeah. So how effective is it, or would it be if that if you or maybe you do pass your calendar on to your customers? I'm working on getting a lot more specific on that. Um, last year we had a we had a plan put together and we put in um, in one of our visits we put in the first couple dates. Uh, that we were going to work with the, you know, we were going to be on their farm on, you know, April 15th and May 15th or something. We put those couple dates in, um, and that was about the extent of where we got. And mm-hmm. so um, I'm kind of revamping that a little bit right now, and when I go deliver the seed, I'm going to have all nine dates nice. or whatever right there. And then if they say, you know, we, we get a month out and, you know, July the 15th is not going to work, because we're going on a family vacation after after wheat harvest, okay. Well, maybe we can move it to the twenty second, or maybe we can move it up to the eighth. You know, um, but then we just make slight adjustments to it. But they know that I'm going to be there that day. That's awesome. If I put it on there, <clears throat> so. Well, first of all, it not only helps you, but it must make them feel much more organized, also. And they they feel like they're dealing with a business person now, not just somebody who sells seed and happens to be the neighbor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Uh, they're not dealing with their buddy and they're not dealing with uh, somebody that's in the area anymore. They're dealing with um, their seed advisor. Not to say that I'm not good friends with my customers. Some of them are my best friends, you know, Um, but they understand when I show up that day, you know, whether it's uh, four o'clock in the afternoon, we got a few beers with us or Mm -hmm. not, Mm -hmm. we're going to go to the field and, and we're doing this. Mm -hmm. Excellent. It also sets that conversation up. So, it's a different conversation they're going to have with anybody. If you've got, like you said, all nine dates laid out ahead, and those nine dates are designed to do something. You know, for years people preached for people, when you make a sales call, um, know what you're going to do before you get there, right? Plan it ahead. Not everybody does that, of course. But when you have those nine dates in in place, you have to plan it ahead. And you have to have the conversation, what are you going to do? Here's what I'm going to do. They start looking forward to it too. It's something no one else does, and I think that's what's made you so successful in your business. You're constantly doing things that other people don't do. So unique, yet so well executed at every level. Are you optimistic or pessimistic about the future of the seed business with all the changes going on and those kind of things, mergers and you know uh, companies changing, farmers going out of business, whatever? Where are you at? I don't really. Uh... I'm not really focused on it. I guess there's a lot of things going on, and I feel like uh, someday it's all going to be water under the bridge. So I guess I'd say I'm optimistic on my seed business, mm-hmm. um, and I have no opinion of anyone else's. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason I say that is because I don't really care what the rest of them do. Right. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep working on this plan that I have, um, and there's going to be noise. There's going to be people be people that come and go um along the way uh and and potentially if they go they're going to come back someday because they're going to realize that that price that product or that program wasn't what was getting them there Mm -hmm. on their farm and so i'm optimistic on my own and i don't really care about anyone else's well that's great that's good attitude because we know that worrying about things you can't control or worrying about the competition takes away your creativity and you're a very creative guy you and jenny put together some really great creative uh, strategies because you're not thinking about things you can't control, the marketplace or the competition. So I think that's a huge asset and a great attitude. Is there anything you wish you'd have known uh, before you got in the seed business? 
yeah, that it wasn't about product price <laughs> or program. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, that's just, I guess that was the way we started. You know, we, oh my God, you know, this one hybrid, the first year I was in these one or two hybrids and we had a really good corn growing year that year, but these one or two hybrids just did phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And, um, the next year they did really good too. And man, it was, we got a really good pro, we got a really good, uh, product. Um, but then over time, um, you know, sales started slipping and, you know, we couldn't figure out what was going on. The product was still performing maybe, or maybe it wasn't. And, and, uh, what we figured out was these guys really just don't need that. Um, they really just need someone who's basically a partner in their business. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that'll really advise them on, on more than just, um, what the product is or mm-hmm. what the price is. Yeah. So I guess I wish I'd have known that up front because I wouldn't be struggling with, you know, these 30 guys or whatever that I've been towing along for the last few years as I'm trying to make these uh, changes. Well, we know that customers take on the attitude of the people they, do, they work around, whether it's neighbors or people call on them, they take on their attitude. Uh, we've taught farmers everything they know right now, everything we've taught them. You know, why to ask about price? Because he knows that the later he waits, to order the cheaper it gets. Uh, we've taught him all those things. We taught him to use the yield monitor, measure yield, to, to select his own product. We've taught him all those things, which are all diametrically opposed to what he needs to do. Now you're trying to undo all those things through uh, new strategies. You've been very faithful in attending virtually every program we offer. You've been to camp several times. You've been to Seed Seller Blueprint live. You've been a member of the Academy since its inception. You are one of our few members that we allow into our accelerant program, our one-on-one strategy where you and I work together. We meet here in Minneapolis six times a year. We, we video uh, conference six times a year. You've done an amazing job of, of honing your skills, working hard to uh, grow your business different from everyone else. When you look at all the formal types of training you've, you've been doing, let's talk about some of the key things you've picked up and then let's talk about some of the things that you, we need to do a better job of. So what are some of the key things you picked up through the formal training you've gotten through the academy or through other things we've done? Yeah, I think key things, um, if you're going to be a professional, be a professional, you know. So um, dress like a professional. Uh, do your uh, meetings that you have with growers. Uh, do them upright. You know, make sure that everything is just uh, top number one. Uh, I'd say that that was the first thing I took away um, was probably that I had to be a professional and then I had to be there. You know, when I first started selling seed, um, you know, I was like most other guys in our area. Delivery was the end of it, mm-hmm. you know. And so I remember I left camp the first year and uh, before I got pulled over by the highway patrolman <laughs> for driving too fast down the interstate, I was telling my wife on the phone how we had to we had to quit doing this and this and this um, because we were we had a lot of irons in the fire back then. We had to quit doing these other things so that we could sell seed, mm-hmm. you know, so that we could be on these guys' farms, so that we could help them uh, move in a direction they didn't really know they needed to go. Awesome. Um, and so th- those were kind of the number one and two takeaways um, there. Over time, you know, talked about the calendar, talked about how we communicate with the customers, um, you know, different areas of the business that we're, that we're toying with, the water probes, the uh, imagery, you know, um, stuff like that. So it, it's just grown um, over time. Every little, every time we get together, I take something else away um, or tweak something mm-hmm. uh, to make it a little better. How long does it take to do that? How long does it take? I get asked the question quite a lot. Um, how long does it take to get to the level where, for example, you're at now, if you're a brand new seller today, for example, coming on board, um, how long would it take for them to do the things you're doing? How quick do you want to get it done? There you go. I mean, <laughs> yep. it's all, it's all uh, I mean, in your own control. Mm-hmm. And so there's things that I don't do. Um, I don't practice mm-hmm. and role play. Mm-hmm. I don't do it at all other than in my head. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on the way to the call, I'll, I'll play this thing, you know, in my head. That's the only time I do it. And the only reason is because, uh, or the only reasons are because I feel like I don't have the time and, and I don't have the right partner mm-hmm. to do it with. Um, 
you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one of the things that I don't do that I know, um, if, if I was brand new, if I'd never been on a farm, um, I would focus on that a lot more because I feel like, you know, some of it is I've, I've heard and I've seen the objections, Mm -hmm. so I can role play it in my head. Um, not that I do it perfectly, but I can do it better than a guy that's never been on the farm and heard or seen the objection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think you role play really well in your head. The other thing is you, like you said, you heard and seen those objections before. But you're also very relaxed with a grower. I think you're very confident. I've seen you, you know, very confident. You're, um, you think things through before you talk. I don't think it's a matter of panic if you if, if a guy gets you inside the circle and you panic. You don't panic. You get yourself out of the circle. You take. You know you where you need to take him because you've, in your mind, even in our sessions, I've seen you. And in, in, you may not say anything, but I can see you practicing this in your mind. I can see you rolling this through, just like when you were on your ho- way home called Jenny that day and you said, Jenny, we need to change these things. That's because you'd already practice a role play that stuff through your mind and how it could work, how it should work. So role play, ideally role play, is when you have a good partner and you can go give it back and forth feedback. Okay, you said you have to have a partner that is somewhat, uh, you know, knows where you want to go with, with, the, with the concept and, and know what to do. So you have to have a good, a good partner. But the same time um, if you don't have that partner and you understand where you need to go and you role play it at least in your mind to a certain level then uh, it works out just fine also you don't get caught very much because of your style of selling because you go out to a new prospect you know you know where you're going to take this new prospect to step one and then you stop at step one you are sitting there Letting him come at you with all kinds of other things doesn't mean you couldn't handle them, but other kinds of questions and things that don't need to come up, like you talk about price comes up, they want to go to price, they want to go to product, that doesn't happen because you're not there long enough, or you haven't let them go that direction, so you leave. That also helps the process in role play and what kind of a plan you have laid out. It eliminates some of the need to be able to have to handle all those objections because they're not going to come up. You don't allow them to come up. So that's good planning on your part again. So you may not role play specifically out loud, but I can see it in you a lot where you're constantly running things through your mind and and testing them out. I think think you're a tester. Yeah. I mean, the other thing there is too, like three new prospects that I brought on this fall, I role played with the first one and the second one. And the third (laughs) one got the best Best presentation. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I mean, so maybe I had spun through it in my head a couple of times before I got to the first one. But you can kind of refine that um, as you go. And everyone's going to ask a little different question, uh, but the answer is kind of the same. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But that's an interesting comment. The third one got the best presentation. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. So you've been a better member of the Academy since we've started. And how has the Academy tied into everything else? I mean, you're with us every month on the live conference call at the end of the month, uh, all these kinds of things. And again, I think you're into refinement mode a lot. Maybe there's something new and dramatic you hear once in a while, but a lot of the questions you hear that are called in are, are very similar to what you've heard before or you know, been to as much training as you've been to. Uh, where do you see the value of the Academy? For, let's just say, not just you, but someone else who's not in it right now. Yeah. For, for me or for somebody that's uh, using this type of selling and stuff like that, that's, I feel like, getting fairly good at it. Um, it's kind of just reinforcement, you know, it kind of, um, you know, it just helps you to, to hear some of the language, to hear the same question over and over and the same, uh, you know, because a lot of the members that are asking the questions on the monthly call, it's the same question every damn month. It's the same question and it's the same answer, but it's just reinforcement that the answer's still the same. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) You know, and, uh, the other, the other part of it, I guess, is, um, like, I don't log on to the academy very much. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys can see that yeah, in the background. But when I am coming up against something, um, you know, when I'm struggling with a customer or with a prospect, I can go on there and, you know, pretty quickly browse around, find two or three different videos that I can watch that can kind of get me past that objection, mm-hmm. you know, that can kind of get me um, through that customer's problem. Yeah. And, and then I can go back and, 
and kind of kill it. Yeah, that's you know? awesome. That's and so awesome. That, that's really what I use it for is mm-hmm. um, I like to listen in on the monthly call. I have a couple of distractions usually while that's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, but just, you know, when you hear that stuff over and over, it kind of just reinforces uh, reinforces to me what I what I need to do. Yeah. Now you'd been to camp and Seed Cellar Blueprint Live, I believe, before you came to the academy. Before we started the academy, yeah. I believe. How do you, how would you view somebody who has not been to any of those programs, but jumping into the academy? Would you, what advice would you give them? Get in the academy, uh, go to a live program first. Uh, doesn't matter. How do you see them connecting together? You know, for for me, I'm all about the live program more than the academy because I feel like it's easier to not be distracted. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to jump into the academy, just make sure that you, you know, you get your schedule, you put it on your calendar, um, and you get rid of your distractions. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you're new to it, you've never been uh, to camp, you've never been to Blueprint Live, and you're just trying to extract value out of your academy membership, but you're distracted every time you get on the call or you're distracted every time you're watching a video, you're not going to get there. Right. So, do you think the academy, the way it's structured, is too much material at one time? It's a lot of material um, for me, uh, and, and I guess you know some of it is because I've been to the camp and I've been to the Blueprint Live. Um, there's a lot of material there that uh, you know I could breeze through faster mm-hmm. because I have a background in it. But mm-hmm. for for somebody who's never been, I suppose it's it's uh, a lot of material that they really need. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, if I was more dedicated and put it on my calendar, I'd get a lot more of it done. <laughs> right. Not that you don't have anything to do. No. <laughs> so, Matt, on the topic of training, are there things that we could do better from our standpoint, dealing with people your level or even new people, that we aren't doing right now in our training programs? Are there ways we can improve our training programs? I think the thing that I am struggling with the most there is some of these really big producers that don't have um, enough manpower to get done what they're trying to do. How to get them to devote the time to working with me? Um, because it takes some time. And if they're not involved, they're not buying in you know and so that's that's one thing i've struggled with even with a couple growers that weren't big when we started but have gotten big Mm -hmm. you know it's like over time their times become more valuable and how do we work with those guys better Mm -hmm. because um in our country i mean i think everywhere in the country farms are getting bigger and so uh less labor on the farm all the time everybody's getting busier. Mm-hmm. And so how do we uh, adapt our program to use less time, but still get that the producer still gets the value so that they're buying the value, which is us and not just buying the product. Mm-hmm. And I've struggled with that mm-hmm. some, especially with some of the big guys. So you're talking, you're talking about getting his time, but not necessarily his face time. Yeah. Be able to, to supply what you need to do without him having to be there or, whatever like you take guys of the field right now you you those kind of things but you're looking at ways to do that without him having to do it too or be there too yeah and i mean to some extent he's got to be actively involved yeah um i just don't know how much of that and you know obviously big farmers are, are big busy how much of that is again a management system on his side where a calendarizing process uh you know, most farmers think they're always busy. I'm always busy. And maybe they are. But my experience growing up on a farm and all the kind of things, we raised livestock, highly diversified operation, all kinds of livestock, all kinds of crops, well, odd chores, those kind of things. But we weren't always busy. We thought we were, but we weren't always busy. And there was an hour we could have taken or two hours to go to the field uh, if that would have been offered to us, right? So how much of that is a mentality they don't have a calendar from you or they don't have a calendar from anyone else. So they're not, they're not following uh, any kind of a protocol which says this is what I'm going to do Friday. Yeah. How much of that is that? All of it. Okay. I mean, those guys, uh, well, I shouldn't say all of it. I mean, some of them just literally, uh, 
I mean, so huge they yeah. understaffed. Yeah, it, it is a real problem. But um, part of the reason it is a real problem is because they're not following any type of schedule. Yeah, you know. And I, I watched a, a guy give a herbicide presentation this uh, earlier this winter, and I thought it was great because he said, you know, when you spray the South 80. Just put it on your calendar for 21 to 28 days later to spray the South 80 again, you know. And, um, you know, so so many of these guys are just flying by the seat of their pants. They spray the South 80, and then we're just, you know, once a week we go drive around the farm and see whether we need to spray the South 80 again. Well, if we just knew that in three weeks we needed to do it, then Mm -hmm. we didn't have to drive by there three times. Exactly. Um, You know, and so I think – Everybody could get better at time management. I could get better at time management. Um, these producers damn sure could. Yeah. Um, and if they were willing to do it, and most of them aren't, um, they would understand it. You know, I've got one new customer. He's like, he and his dad are kind of like time management kings. They work full time. They're both professionals in town. Um, and he takes Tuesday off. His dad takes Thursday off, and they work their ass off on Friday, Saturday wow. and Sunday. Wow. You know, and they farm 4,000 acres, yep. but they, they do it in four days, Wow! you know, and, uh, and so I know that he's available on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. That's the day <laughs> he takes off from yep. town. Very cool. And so if I'm going to meet up with him, I, I text him on Friday saying, Hey, Tuesday morning still work for you. Awesome. You know, <laughs> uh, I need to get more guys that, that yeah. will, will do that, yeah. you know, um, just use their calendar. But they have a calendar and that, that's why they can do that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like anybody who has a time management issue. You need to have a calendar, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. A couple of quick questions I have for you, Matt, before we we close up here. Uh, when you go to a restaurant, what's the most common thing you order? I don't order thing any anything commonly, I guess, <laughs> unless I go to the same restaurant. You know, if I go uh, to the restaurant there in town, you know, I get in a rut. I order the. Uh, onion and, and pepper burger okay you know almost every time um if i go to, to the mexican place i get the tacos okay you know um so uh we eat a lot of different uh foods a lot of different places and we don't really eat out that much unless we're on the road okay you know at home we cook that's because you're a good cook uh yeah <laughs> you're the prime rep man i understand uh, yeah I'm, I'm decent awesome uh but i don't cook every day yeah. by any means jenny does most of that and uh she's a good cook so i'm fortunate there but what hobbies do you have uh yeah i'm bad about that because i you know i really love farming uh, i enjoy my work i enjoy my family and, and cooking and so that's kind of what we do um you know i go pheasant hunting on opening day okay uh, that's kind of <clears throat> the extent of that um you know just I go golfing uh, in May. Mm-hmm. Jenny leaves town for a week, and I go golfing <laughs> at least three times that week nice. in May. You know, but I don't have any real consistent hobbies. Okay. You know, so I need to find one. All right. Fill in my Friday. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> uh, your house, your desk, or your car? Which one do you clean first? My car. Your car. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my pickup, uh, that's kind of a, a level of pride for me. That thing is pretty spotless nice. uh, most days of the week. And I have two. And so right now it's been wet and snowy and rainy. And so the one hasn't left the uh, shed for uh, probably close to two months. Okay. Because it's clean. It's really clean. <laughs> yeah, nice. And the other one's kind of a mess. Yeah. But uh, I can clean that mess up in 30 minutes or less if I have to. If I'm going to go see a customer, you know, I grab a microfiber and wet it down and clean that thing off your customers expect to see a clean pickup um on the inside and some of them are are pretty shocked sometimes when it's clean on the outside i even had a guy one time we were going to to see a field and and we take my pickup and on the way there he says i can already tell this is going to cost me eight (laughs) dollars and i looked at him and said why is it going to cost you eight dollars he says Oh, this thing's going to be trash by the time we get to the field. You know, he knew the trail road was right. underwater or whatever. And I said, well, I guess it's going to cost me $8, yeah. Yeah. you know, or I, I finally just went and bought a power washer uh, so that I didn't have to spend $8 every nice. time. Nice, nice, so. very good. Well, Matt, I sure appreciate your time today. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you. Is there anything you'd like to leave the audience, uh, a message before we, we quit today? Anything else you want to say? I just think, uh, you know, Nike 
has had it right for a long time. Just do it. Mm-hmm. You know, when you just do it, um, you can be successful. Well, you are certainly a, a, a model of success in your business, uh, your family, and uh, we're really proud to work with you. It's been a pleasure working with you and a continued great success down the road. Likewise. Thanks, Thank Rob. You. Thank you. Thank you.